0: All right, so let's do this.
1: You gotta hear me sing sometime, Brian. That's where you, that's where it comes from. <laughs> I've heard you sing. Have you ever heard me sing? I've heard you sing, but like in real life. How else do you sing? I mean, you've heard. Have you heard? Have you actually heard me sing in a
0: show? Like a live show? Yeah, yeah. You have. Yeah. Okay. I, there's also a thing called YouTube, Joe. Oh, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> and it's weird because most of the most of the things that I see on YouTube of you playing, it's for whatever reason you're shirtless. I'm not sure, <laughs> like if that's like a thing. And I'm nervous and quiet. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's let's do this. What's the dirt? Welcome to the Art Fight Podcast, and um, I'm here with Joe Nolan, and I'm here with Michael Weintraub. We've already talked about what we're not going to talk about. It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> very controversial. Uh, but anyway, all right, so we're in, we're in the zone now. Joe Nolan, we were just talking about, Joe, Joe thinks that I've never seen him th- uh, sing before. I've seen <laughs> you sing a million times. If you haven't heard Joe, he's quite a songwriter. He's, he's a Renaissance man. He fights, he, <laughs> he plays, he, uh, he writes. I play, fight. <laughs> he play, I play fight. He writes, and then uh, we have the, the benefit of being with our guest here today, Mr. Michael Weintraub what's up hey man thanks for having me yeah so um you know as you know we don't have a format and we just go but uh uh i got to meet michael i guess it was probably about three years ago four years ago 2014 four years ago. four years ago mm-hmm. so uh we have a mutual friend in jeff coffin who we did an episode of the podcast with you should check out but um uh I heard there was this photographer in town and there was this really interesting project going on and people were getting pulled into this studio and these shoots were happening like bring some stuff that means something to you and just show up and you'll get led through some process and I go (laughs) and you know it was sort of like bring your instrument you know and uh and so I'm in this little bit of a precarious place because I don't have like a guitar that I play or you know I'm not that I'm I'm a I make beats, you know. I'm a drummer, but I don't really do that anymore. It's more about programming and beat making. <laughs> so I just was like, well, I grabbed my old uh, giant lasonic boombox and um and uh, the uh, my old MPC 2000 XL and went over there. And I wasn't. I thought that it was just gonna be like a, a prop shoot or something. Like I didn't understand. I didn't know anything about what was going on. And then I get in there, and Michael's in this. Uh, I guess you were in someone's house studio it was
2: john john scarpati yeah Mm. if you know him Mm. um he shot the warrant cherry pie album cover yeah Mm -hmm. and he was a used to be nashville
0: based photographer right commercial photographer uh he lives in
2: virginia now
0: Mm -hmm. so uh so yeah i go in there and and uh i think somebody else was finishing up or you know something i immediately got a sense that something was really different you know going on and then the next thing i know we're tying up we have these uh, like pipe and drape type things, but we're tying up this my boombox to like uh, on these strings so that it can be suspended in front of my face. And so then I realized pretty quickly that oh, th- he's doing something really different. These are these surrealist kind of uh, otherworldly sort of pictures or portraits of musicians, and and their faces are excluded. And so for me, that was awesome because it was. Uh, I'm just not a person that really likes to. I don't like my face being. Photographed or whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, I got a, I got a face for radio, um, <laughs> but anyway. So this was perfect. You look like a podcaster, <laughs> right? right yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so anyway, it was just it was such a great experience, and so that's how I got to know uh, you, Michael, and then um, and then uh, you know it kind of went from from there, uh, and later on, you know, you had your big exhibit at Oz. But for anybody listening, or you know, that just needs to sort of understand in general, okay, Michael Weintraub instrument head what's the what you know give us the give us the lowdown we know you
2: right but who doesn't you know for the people that don't know you well I've been a photographer in the music scene for the last 20 years I came up shooting concerts and then eventually went on to shooting portraits and it's the ever um it's the search for finding your voice as an artist I'd moved to New York City started you know kind of learning about light and portraiture and so I You know, in 2000, I had taken a photograph of the Derek Trucks band backstage at the Aggie Theater and the bass player came down with his bass. I said, do something crazy, put your bass down your shirt. And he did. And I'm like, oh wow, these guys will do that if I ask them to do it. (laughs) So that became part of my process. Mm. And then I moved to New York City, started learning about light, started doing these types of photos in the studio. Ended up on a couple album covers for Carl Denson, who's now in the Rolling Stones, and George Porter Jr. from the Meters. And then in 2008, I picked up a book called The Disciples by a photographer named James Mollison. He had photographed fans of bands, and the whole idea was to guess what band they were the fan of.
1: Oh, cool. All
2: shot on the same background. Dolly Parton fans had blonde hair and cowboy hats and her other assets. Willie Nelson fans (laughs) looked like Merle Haggard. ZZ Top fans had beards. And I thought, this is so cool. How can I create a guessing game with the musicians themselves? Mm. I said, oh wow, I have all these photos of them with their instruments covering their face. So I decided to start reaching out to all these musicians I knew from working in the music business for so long and I offered them all free promo shots and trade. So it became about art and not about money and licensing and things like that. Mm. Um, and you know, many t- times often in the music business and in the entertainment business, they bring in stylists and makeup artists. You're creating an illusion in front of the camera. So I would say to them, how are we gonna tell your story? What is it about you that makes you special? People show up with all their stuff their clothing or relics from their past or their instruments which are really an extension of who they are and then i'm able to take these honest portraits of them Mm -hmm. so then the instrument head was born
0: yeah and so and also you get a lot of different takes people are bringing their own thing to it so these objects of affection or whatever things that they have i mean that can widely vary i mean in the book it's it's any <laughs> it's number of board. things, yeah, and so that's what's so cool too is it's almost like an instrument head. While I think it's really cool term, is almost reductive because there's so much more kind of going on. But I, I can appreciate the term because it's just conversationally it gets right to like sort of what it what it is. Uh, but I love the idea that you've sort of turned things uh, around. So it's strange too that you're in this place where it's like by obscuring something, you're actually revealing something, right? And that's just a neat you know sort of paradox
2: well they say that you know portraits are all about the eyes but you can look at these images and still feel the people so i believe it's about breaking down walls and comfort and things like that and you can um people's personality come through the yeah image no matter what
0: yeah man so and then you know generally you work i mean you're probably one of the hardest working people i've ever met you're, you hustle full-on all the time non-stop one of my favorite things about you is that you you fucking call people. you do not like to text. you just you do have an idea, you have a thought, you need something be it's just like what's up? you know you've had a directness about you the whole time I've ever known you that I've always really appreciated and I find rare actually. You know, Joe. From Joe, on the other hand, I mean, the guy's like know, a ghost. Emails. <laughs> <laughs> I send you an email.
1: I send you an invite from a Google Calendar.
0: <laughs> okay, so this is passive-aggressive stuff right now. I kind of missed the I podcast like it, last coming week. Coming home or something. Yeah, <laughs> I kind of missed the podcast last week. We had a little bit of a calendar problem. It's jo- a
1: new system. We have a bug in our system. <laughs> but we we squashed system. <laughs> the bug last week. <laughs> well, it's right. it's, a,
2: it's up in the air. You never know.
1: Yeah. Well, we're just we're sort of uh, I mean, this is like I don't know if I've if if I said this on the part that where we're actually recording, but this is our second episode of our second season. And we've upgraded so many things, including our scheduling. So we just had a bug last week and, and uh, I came to do the podcast and I was the only one here and I was very sad. Uh, <laughs> did you see my weird picture I drew for you, Brian?
0: Are you the person?
1: Yeah, the That person. was you? <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, my God.
1: For real, I, was, I sat there and just, I saw that and I was like, what? Were you totally weirded out? Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, I just sat here. It's dude, like dude, a like, demonic face. I, I just drew this demonic face while I was waiting for Brian to get here and right, and then he found it. Didn't know yeah. we were Jewish. I'm glad we showed up today. <laughs> this thing, right? Yeah. Jeez. But anyway, it scared me. Um, but yeah, but especially uh, talking about your, your, you know, your work ethic and, and your directness or whatever here in town. I think one thing that I think is really rad about, I mean, this is, we've just now upgraded to the point where we do have sort of a dedicated space for where Brian does his, you know, production work. <laughs> and his video work and where we're now doing the podcast out of and it really does feel like a, like a great upgrade I was just talking about needing to get back to having a space of my own to work in and do my things in and uh, you have a like a really rad studio set up in East Nashville right in the same like little warren of spaces that includes the Red Arrow Gallery that's one of the reasons that's basically the way that I see you all the time and that's where I met
2: you when you were yeah. doing the art talks over there
1: that's right yeah so I would do art talks at the gallery met Brian and he was like you know there's there's a couple of other people over there, art studio places, design studio places. It's a really creative little hub over there, um, uh, and you've got an amazing space over there. So I think that's that's one of the things too that's interesting about you know you have this this studio presence in the in the community that's like. Um, you know, both you know the place where you do your work, but it's also the way a lot of people find out about what you're doing, like on a Saturday night, you'll have an open house there and you'll be showing your photos or and we have concerts yeah. and get musicians. To you had a live the painter there and... the other day. Stephen mm-hmm.
2: Watkins was at your place recently doing like live painting. yeah, and we did an exhibit for him in there, so it's like mm-hmm. really nice to be able to have a place to create community and inspire people and just have a place to hang, you know yeah, totally. so yeah, now we got to figure out how to get you a place as big as Oz. yeah i don't know if i need that Uh, place i need that kind of place every once in a while yeah so so um (coughs) so uh, yeah we definitely want to talk about your show
0: at oz too because that was tremendous so oz nashville is a an old cigar factory turned into a world-class art and performance music facility here in sort of the outskirts of west part of nashville Mm -hmm. it's got to be one of the i don't know most sort of like people either know about it fully or they just don't know yeah. about it. And I, it's incredible to me when people don't know about it because it is probably one of the premier venues in all of the city, if not, like in my oh, mind, yeah. the premier, vi- like because just of where it sits. And, and their founder passed <clears throat> away yeah. uh, last week. That's <clears> true. John I was gonna... Yeah, it's rough. Uh, I know he was f- battling cancer for a long time. Yeah, uh,
1: and, the, and the art community really, you know, they, they, you know, there was no, no one had no one you know voted and said you have to now turn your cigar factory into this world-class arts event center yeah you know and so it's really everybody really you know everybody the art scene in Nashville really owes a debt to him you know what I mean so mm-hmm. it's really it's you know it's it's we our sympathies are with the family because it was it's really a big deal it's a great place it's 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 not just the space but it's the programming, you know what I mean? Yeah, I saw just the
0: spirit of the place. Yeah, totally. I saw That's Patty Smith reading
1: art. there, you know what I mean? So it's just like it's like there's I've seen the great stuff there. I've seen And then they've done so many cool local things like you guys are talking about.
2: They were the main reason why I moved to town, mm-hmm. actually. Really? Mhm. So they offered you a, a thing and you were like, "Great, I'm coming." Well, I had actually I'd been working as a photographer for the Bluegrass Underground, which is this PBS special they film in the cave oh, at the yeah. Cumberland Caverns. Now it's moved to Pelham Tennessee they got a new venue had to get a new cave yeah they had got a new cave so <laughs> yeah. I had met a guy named Mark Rowan who was the president of <laughs> Griffin Technology who invited me down for this um opening of the Maiden TV network at the Belcourt Theater and met a guy named Gavin Investor who went on to connect me with Tim Osginer mm. and Lauren Snelling who's the yeah. artistic director at Oz and we had this whole idea to do this really big exhibit mm. with Seventy-five four-foot-tall prints and getting musicians to perform. So, I came to Nashville and kind of made the call out, like you were talking about earlier, to find musicians who were known for their look, at their style, or their instrument. And after a week, I'd photographed um, thirty-seven people, I think. Wow! So I kind of like tapped into every local music scene in town Immediately. before I even moved here. so yeah. that's cool. That was really cool.
1: Who were of the Nashville people that you photographed? Who did you um, photograph? If you photographed Brian. I photographed
2: so. Brian Siskin. Yeah. I photographed black cat sylvester i know that you and he yeah. worked together on one of your drones pieces yeah i photographed dave rowe who played with johnny cash mm-hmm. I photographed kenny vaughn who is a great guitar player plays um in the fabulous superlatives i photographed um allison brown who owns compass records jeff coffin victor wooten uh future man um, muriel anderson mm-hmm. um the list goes on fats kaplan jim Oblon. Um, a lot of great musicians here. Abigail Washburn, you know, also it's indigenous people who play the instruments from the countries they're from, like Wu Fei who plays the mm-hmm. Um So it just goes on and on. It's like people started bringing their friends and then their friends, you know, Yeah, Oliver Wood from the Wood Brothers. It, it was just really great to connect with all these mm-hmm. really amazing people.
0: Yeah, it's strange. It's like you just you just opened up some weird portal that all these people just started passing through and it was a very open... Free kind of vibe and mm-hmm. and then a lot of intersections and things happen too, right, like a lot of other musicians would meet other music
2: like you actually sort of would connect the dots incidentally between different people, yeah, you I know? feel like I'm a connector and a connector sense, or, yeah, you know something happened and when I shot in New York, I had a studio in Brooklyn for a long time, and Jay Rodriguez, a great saxophone player, was there, yeah. and Felix Pastorius, his Jaco's son, yeah, they met, they played together, Jay invited him onto the gig, next thing you know. He's in the Cindy Blackman man. Next thing you know, he's in the Yellow Jacket. So it's yeah, just little yeah, things yeah. that happen that kind of are little stepping stones. So I like to think that I'm part of that in some way. God, isn't it just it's so wild? Like, I got to meet and hang
0: with Felix. I guess when they, when Jeff and Felix and some other Mute Hat, yeah, the Mute Hat, yeah, when they were mm-hmm. playing in New York when I was living there, they came through and so I went and saw them and we all hung out. And I got to kind of you know know Felix a little bit. And, and uh, it's man, it's just wild just his playing his his demeanor his vibe and the way he looks and just everything like he and for people that are carrying around to have your father be such a luminary and to handle it so well and with such grace and ease i'm sure it hasn't been that all the time but he was he was really something he really impressed me is really something oh by the way jay J rodriguez I've actually, I'm on a track with him, I've never met the guy, but I'm on a track with him that was uh for this record called, uh, it, was, it was a group called Slang, it was my friend. That's old,
2: Dave school from Widesword
0: Panic. Yeah, with, uh, um, Lang, Lang, Martin.
2: Yeah, I met that guy before too, he's y- cool.
0: Yeah, so um, I mean we don't really talk much anymore, but, uh, but at that time, uh, that was a really interesting time, but I did a, a track, I sort of, we kind of 50-50 to track on that record that ended up getting licensed for a, a commercial, American Express commercial with you know Tiger Woods uh, and I remember hearing, that was the first time I ever heard him uh, Jay play sax and I was like wow I mean it mm. was like this he has this tone that's uh, Should we call him right now? No I'm just kidding <laughs> uh, He has this tone that's very, um, it just reminded me of this kind of like Wayne Shorter like really mm. buttery there's just a tone and, uh, and an ease that his playing had that always struck me i'd love to meet that guy and say hey i was on a track with you that you probably don't remember uh but he probably does remember uh, (laughs) he might you might uh but that's so cool yeah so you the show at oz like it was it was so that meant the space the main space at oz is so massive and it filled the space like i would imagine it would be very daunting to just try to figure out how can i get photographs to really feel like they're because there's no there's no walls right like it's just a big open space so how do you get Photographs to really fill up the space and mm-hmm. feel like it has some weight to it and doesn't feel like small or you know thin or, or uh, you know with no mm-hmm. no gravity and the way that that was installed and the way that that was put together and the way that people could flow through it and everything was probably the, one of the best exhibitions I've ever seen. It was unbelievable, okay. man. Amazing, thank you.
2: Yeah, like so, was that were you involved in all like with how, the designing? Um, A friend of mine helped, you know, you look at the schematics of the room and you figure out where things need to be and they built these special uh, L walls, you know, because you want to create kind of a maze of art. Mm -hmm. And then we had the stage and... and You want to control like the flow of people through the space. So it's about creating a sensory experience for people where, you know, that's kind of... I've been on the road doing these types of smaller exhibits where I go and set up in music venues and we get the musicians to perform. So it's like having the art in the room... With the music, like on the dance floor. Yeah, yeah. I remember I was playing like these like pretty esoteric,
0: ambient beat things, and uh, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, you opened it, the show. I opened it, and then um, and then uh, and then right after me was so funny because uh, so uh, here comes Sam Bush. He was another
2: guy you didn't mention. that was. Oh, you know what's yeah. funny about Sam is that I saw him. You know, we did the shoot four years ago, and he had a, a, steel mandolin, and I he brought a Newgrass revival magnet and Ozzy Smith magnet. And I'd stuck them on his instrument four years ago. When I saw him performing the other day, the magnets were still where I <laughs> left them, <laughs> which wow. like was so cool. He what? just left. He's a now. hardcore fan, yeah, he's, man. He's, a, he's he's amazing. He's what a, a great hard, guy. He's a Cardinals fan, right? Yeah, he's a Cardinals guy. Yeah, like Ozzie Smith.
0: Yeah, he'll die. He'll die a Cardinals fan for sure. But yeah, he used to be my neighbor. Strangely enough, like he lived two doors down from me when I lived over in West Mead. Oh, really? Um, so that's how I got to know. him sam back mm. then and we just had a bunch of and that's back when i had done a couple of things with Bela and some mm. other people so he was like oh you're that guy
2: you know or whatever mm-hmm. but um but what a cool dude man i mean for him to open the show acoustic put up put on your sailing shoes um yeah crossroad to put on your sailing shoes yeah acoustic yeah solo you know that kind of set the bar for <laughs> everyone else who followed it was
0: so funny because he walked up on the stage after i was done he was like
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Brian it <laughs> <laughs> was so funny He's such a cool We got some great photos From that night But anyway like That was a massive success Right I mean It couldn't have gone Any better As far as I can tell Plus you had like cool Like information like, It was very thoughtful Right Like you had um, Information on You know iPads You know I guess Griffin Was a sponsor mm-hmm. uh, R.I.P. Griffin mm-hmm. um, And uh, And so Yeah Just
2: the whole thing Was so well thought out. How long did it run for You know, it was only up for like two days. God. You know, so that's the only drag is Mm -hmm. that, you know, I wish more people had seen it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, since then I've been doing many exhibits and, you know, that one and the original one we did in New Orleans, which ran for two weeks, which also had 75 four-foot tall photos. Over 7,000 people came to that one. Wow. Wow. The thing I was going to say is that like in
1: Nashville, you know, uh, basically seeing the, the Nashville's visual art scene sort of really develop into to come into its own since the nineties, basically you see, you see then you see now you will always see efforts to bridge the visual arts community with the, the musical community that Nashville's always had. I mean, essentially forever. Um, uh, and, and, Most of the people I know in the in the art scene, the fine art scene of Nashville, whatever, I mean, I know these terms get slippery, but, you know, there's a conscious effort to keep it separated because Mm -hmm. they don't want to be they're trying to, uh, you know, sort of create Nashville as a visual identity and they don't want to they want to do it separately from the obvious, you know, thing about the music community. So you have these sort of polar things going on, and 9 times out of 10 when you see people connect the two, it ends up being just all over not good generally. And your project is one of the only ones that I know of where you're actually connecting what I would consider to be actually good music, <laughs> with actually an interesting fine art project. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. I really mean that. I mean that very seriously. Like the the more I find out about your project, the more I realize that it's like, you know, this isn't pairing, you know, some, you know, uh, you know star of the day country musician that no one will think about in the next five years with you know the dumbest you know guitar sculptures you could possibly do I'm somebody probably did this and I don't want to put them down (laughs) but this is a typical Nashville thing to do and then you (laughs) yeah yeah. and then you and then you promote the whole thing as if it's an arts event right and it's like but it's just bad art and bad music you know Mm -hmm. where this thing I mean and this thing goes beyond Nashville of course but within the Nashville context I just feel like it's one of the few times I've seen somebody do something that is like got one one finger touching fine art and one finger touching like actual good American music and and it actually is a, a, a real thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like it, the whole thing's the level up from the what normally gets done big time. so it's uh, it's good. I mean, it's very good. And one of the things I like about it too is that you've got you've got people that people know in here, but then you also have lots of sidemen and you have lots of just interesting
2: musicians that so people behind the music. yeah you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, everybody's heard the song "Low Rider" by War, but can you yeah. tell me who the harmonica player is? Right,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's
2: the whole point, right. you know? It's like, these are the guys, you know, especially with Standing in the Shadows of Motown and 20 Feet from Stardom and all these yeah. kind of movies, tell, the Muscle Shoals documentary, telling the stories of these guys. Like, mm-hmm. I'm kind of um, an anthropologist in a way of, mm-hmm. you know, musicians and music. It just because I love music so much, I've been you know following it for so long. I think that anybody that makes really
0: good uh, or just really impressive art is in some way an anthropologist, or uh, is is based in some sort of a a, a richer cultural observation, um, with some weird mix of uh, a need to preserve and also a need to sort of move things forward. And you're kind of probably wrestling with that all the time because you don't want to necessarily just be like a a documentarian for. You know, uh, to get shuttled away into the library somewhere. I mean, that's that's good too. But you know what I mean? Like, you're you're in this place where you're sort of you're honoring the past, but you're also moving something quite quite forward. That's
1: huge, important. Yeah, Nashville loves to honor the past. Also, Mm. that's another thing. Like, but to do something where you're documenting, but you're not doing it like. Like that's just you happen to be documenting, but you're doing something now in the moment, you know. And like you say too, I mean, your book is basically right on time for all those documentaries, you know. So there's obviously, you know, a cultural thing happening here,
0: and and this is a part of that for sure. So you you work, like I said, like you work harder than just about anybody I've I've seen, uh, mm-hmm. which I hugely admire. <clears throat> like what are, what are the things that nobody realizes, like is, I, I've even caught like certain, like just understanding what you have to go through to, to, to make one of your remote exhibits happen, like when you go to Red Rocks, or when you go to these places in New Orleans, and, and you, you set up these long-running two-week exhibits, and you know, you got a truck, you've got custom cases, you've got stuff that you've got a schlep, you've got um, all kinds of people that, you know,
2: to deal with,
0: and some
2: understand what you're doing, and some don't. Well, I'm basically don't. like a musician or a carny, or, you know, I'm on the road now. Like, I learned from these musicians. I traveled around shooting music festivals all over the world, and so now I have my own truck and my own road cases. And, you know, originally when we did the first show, we wrapped all the frames in bubble wrap Yeah. 75 four foot tall frames. We got to this warehouse. Someone had given me a 50,000 square foot warehouse on Frenchman Street across from DBA, right at the back of this art market. The show was gonna open on Thursday. Tuesday night at three o'clock in the morning, we finished putting the hardware back in the frames and we were placing all of the frame pieces up against this drywall wall. The 75th one we put down and we were celebrating. All of a sudden the wall starts to fall. It wasn't connected, so I'm holding the wall up. We placed all the frame pieces up against the brick wall because obviously they'll be safe (laughs) because it's a brick wall. Get out of there at five a.m. At seven a.m., our phones start blowing up there's a tornado going through new Orleans and the warehouse is flooding. So we had to run back and like put all the photos on tables and like ended up losing two of them. Uh-huh. But,
1: but out of all that, you only lost, two. we only lost two oh, and then that's it, great. it
2: went off, you know, it's just, um, so you want to be an artist, right? And you know, I'm on the ground just like defeated and crying and, you know, bleeding from, you know, it's just so much to deal with, but it all went well. And, you know, and that that was the start of my new life. You know, <laughs> yeah. I think it's really
0: cool too that you're sort of you're taking these notes or these uh, inferences from your subjects. Ultimately, you know, it's like how do you how? Uh, why wouldn't you m- marry yourself to their modality or the way that they function or live or make a living or whatever it is that they're doing? Like what? Yeah, like get on the road.
2: You know, get your anvil cases or your with caster wheels and yeah. So now I can fit the. The, the frame pieces and road cases and they slide in. I don't have to wrap them in bubble wrap.
0: Yeah. Which is pretty nice. This sounds like the probably the single greatest innovation in your life. Right? Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. No, I think the lift gate is, is probably the best <laughs> one. <laughs> it's a sweet truck, man. And then as far as, um, you know, I mean, you've, you've also, I mean, you've got all the, this. we've talked a lot about all the things you're doing after the fact, right? When the photos are all done. But I mean, when, you, when you're out shooting shows and you, you know, you're not necessarily working in a studio, you're capturing moments, you've experienced
2: any number of insane things. Oh yeah. Uh, some of the most unthinkable things, really. Well, there's a difference between creating and capturing. So like if you're a documentarian, or you do reportage, you're kind of capturing the moment. If you're in the studio like we are now, what we're doing here is we're creating something. So mm-hmm. you know there's a difference, but they're both equally as valid, and they're two completely different skill sets.
0: Yeah. Which one do you lean into more? Do you feel like one kind of is necessary to be able to do the other well?
2: Well, I think that um, from shooting concerts and events for so many years, it gave me the instincts of knowing when to hit the trigger mm-hmm. when in the studio. And then once I learned how to function in a studio setting, having the prior skill set helped me to become a better portrait photographer and find my voice. Like this project helped me to find my voice as a portrait photographer because mm. I was always known as like a... a a live kind of documentarian before mm. I really got deep into portrait work. Do you think that, um, obviously, in the in the uh, in the studio
0: environment now you've got infinite choices, or you know, working with lighting in all these various ways, or really contriving or controlling or whatever you want to do with the space and and all that? Like, do you is do you have like option fatigue
2: sometimes, or do you just kind of keep it limited? No, I kind of have a few things that I can do really well. Mm-hmm. Within my with my gear and mm-hmm. within my space, you know, for shooting one or two people, uh, you know, I can nail that on my own. But sometimes when I get hired to do like an album cover or something like that, I'll bring in assistants, and so I don't have to think about all that stuff. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean it's super fun. I love it.
0: Yeah, and so as far as uh, you know, this this whole sort of mode you've been in with with Instrument Head, right? Like it's so known now. Do you do you have to reconcile now? Sort of like, are there completely different ideas or com- like things that don't fit in or or to your current mode, right? In terms of capturing or
2: studio work, is there something else
0: that you want to be doing or would like to do that is well, not there's,
2: sure? Well, you know, I, when I originally went to try to, I wanted to make a book. I met with Harper Collins and all these kind of people, Ritzoli and none of them knew how they were going to sell it or how they were going to do it. And so I decided to start doing these exhibits. And then, um, I built a following, and then I was able to crowdfund the book and start my own publishing company. So now I've been kind of using what I've been doing as an experiment, so I would like to help other artists who have big bodies of work help them to put out their work and empower them to be able to have a product that they can sell and go on the road and show their work. So I'm gonna start publishing other books for for other artists. Cool. That's great, you know, and yeah. I am in my own other books, I have such a huge archive, you know. My next book I'm working on is gonna be called 475 Kent, which was my address in Brooklyn, Mm -hmm. which was kind of like a a building with all these artists like David Allen Harvey and Deborah Masters and Tim, um, who died, who did Respeto, the guy who died in Afghanistan and all these artists. So it was kind of like the Chelsea Hotel of our time. And now over Mm -hmm. 80% of the building has been kicked out or paid to leave and so I have photographs of all these musicians Mm -hmm. around the building in the freight elevator on the roof and so, I want to try to tell the story of this building and where I once lived, you know, um, and put a book out. So Kent and, Green, and Greenpoint or? In South Williamsburg, South Williamsburg, like South 11th and Kent, kind okay. of in the Hasidic neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, wow. So that was fun, that's where I kind of created all of this work was um, in Williamsburg. You know, When you're there were more great photographers in that building than I think that there are in all of Nashville, but <laughs> not right. to say that they're not amazing photographers in Nashville, but these are guys who, are the head photographers for magnum and rolling stone and Mm -hmm. movie directors so just being around these people you know set the bar so high that i had to do something that was valid and cool and you know it steps up everybody's game when people around them are doing Mm -hmm. special things
0: yeah so like who who was the Like in terms of, I hate to say, like who were your influences, because that's kind of a really linear question. But there's certain things that just kind of set you off, right? It can even be something that you don't like, where you're like, you know what? I've been now been validated that I don't want to go. Like somebody's shown me
2: exactly where not to go. It can be any number of ways that you can look at that. But I'm just curious. Influences as a photographer?
0: Yeah. Well, you
2: know, there's people like you know Herman Leonard, who's the great jazz photographer who died, and Mm -hmm. you see these old photos of Dexter Gordon and Mm -hmm. Ella Fitzgerald with the smoke. You know, he was putting lights in the rafters, and then mm. there's people like Andy Leibowitz and Jim Marshall and Baron Wolman, And, oh yeah, there you go. That's the shot on his uh, mouse pad, yeah, that's Dexter it. Gordon. Yeah. So, we had a psychic I've moment. I've got a whole
1: book of those photographs.
2: But, um, you know, people like Baron Wolman and Jay Blakesburg and Danny Clinch, obviously, um, are major influences of mine. So, you know, as a musician or an artist, I guess you decide what you like and you try to learn how to do it and you're not very good at it and you practice hard and you get good at it and you begin to master it and then you find your voice and so I think that's the deal with Mm -hmm. most artists you know
0: is there is there a point where you can look back now and you can say man
2: I really thought I knew my shit and I knew very little (laughs) oh yeah like I was a house photographer for Radio City Entertainment for for one night I photographed Mark Knopfler and you know, I called them the next week. I said, "Well, when's my next gig?" And they said, "We're not hiring you again." I go, "What are you mm-hmm. talking about?" They go, "Your delivery was the worst we've ever seen." Oh, yeah. <laughs> I go, "All right, well, that makes a lot of sense." You know, when you show up with a CD and an envelope, you know, and just give it to them, it really doesn't—that doesn't work out. So, you know, I had to learn most of the lessons I've learned. I've learned the hard way, and um, yeah. I guess that's what makes you stronger. If mm-hmm. you stay in the game long enough
1: that's a good story man i think it's important like for people to acknowledge like you know the fact that it's like oh you know we're talking about this cool project you did and this cool thing that happened in this exhibition that went off and blah 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 but it's like yeah and and all those things are real and you also you know have had your share of of you've learned how to do these things because you've failed and like we all so many times we all you know just i mean you could even say that this I mean me and Brian have failed at this podcast a bunch of times. We just don't look like we have. We, we're, we're, just, we're failing about right it. now.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Clearly
0: what are we this talking episode's
1: about? a complete failure. It's <laughs> <is> a real time <laughs> failure.
2: <laughs> no, but it's a hundred percent true. I mean, no, but I like yeah. that.
0: We'd like to talk about that stuff on the podcast too,
1: about like, you know, not but just failure is
2: like, not really failing. Yeah. It's like, if you can learn, you know, from something it makes you stronger and mm-hmm. then, you know, maybe you can inspire other people by yeah. you know learning the lessons from the people who came before you. And you if you're know?
1: not, yeah, if you're not failing, then it's like you're really not pushing yourself to the point of challenging yourself. Right. You know what I mean? Like like the guy on the diving board earlier. We were watching this video on the diving board, listeners. Guy diving from 172 foot uh, uh, diving board, almost made it with a really breaking your, <laughs> or breaking
2: your drone. You know, if you're not using your gear, mm-hmm. if you're using your gear, you're probably going to break it, and then right you know and then insurance and those types of things you know I've had all my gear stolen and I didn't have insurance and I said well I need to figure out a way to uh you know buy new gear now now I have (laughs) insurance so if something breaks or you know because you learned (laughs) you know it's like um when you delete all your files by mistake yeah you've had you've
0: had some data fun I know
2: oh yeah I was you know the guy who wrote the quote on the back of this book is a guy named Colonel Bruce Hampton you ever heard of him of course yeah so Bruce Hampton was kind of one of my mentors. Yeah. And, you know, for 20 years I would call him and he was a really interesting guy. He was kind of one of these guys who's a conduit who gave people permission to be themselves. And I gave him the book on his 70th birthday, which was the the day of this tribute concert that they were doing to him at the Fox Theater in Atlanta. 5,000 people were there. Derek Trucks, Warren Haynes, Susan Tedeschi, John Popper. Everyone's on stage. And I was out in the... Lobby with the book set up like promoting the book and so well, what am I doing in here? This amazing music is happening I got to get in there with my camera and I got to go shoot it So I got in the front row and this guy comes out on stage they had just sung um, and uh, They were singing the song love light which coincidentally enough was the first song he ever sang live This boy Brandon Niederauer Taz. He's a little young guitar prodigy. He pointed at him Got on his knees to bow down to him Went down. He had a heart attack on stage and died in the encore of his own tribute concert. Mm. And I was there photographing it all. You know, this is like as a documentarian of this music scene. So I got in. And one of your best friends. And one of my best friends. And so we were all depressed. We were up all night. We We were in shock. And I had to fly to New Orleans and photograph this guy, Eric McFadden's wedding and then I had a job shooting Neil Diamond that night. I'd been working with them for on a few shows on the tour <laughs> and I dropped the hard drive and I lost all the pictures of Bruce dying on stage. So it was really intense and I still haven't been able to recover it. So you know, it really destroyed me, but looking back on it, it's kind of like a Buddhist sand painting, Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. in the moment I was there, and I did what I was meant to do, Mm -hmm. and I didn't have the backup, so now I have a server that I can back everything up, so you know, with digital files and things like that, if it's not in two places, it doesn't exist, and um, you know, it's these lessons that if they don't just crush you and send you into a world of depression, they're gonna make you stronger mm. to move on to the next level. And so I'd like to think that that's what's happened to me through that experience. Jeez, man. That's, that's intense. It's intense, right? And so also,
0: there's gotta be something where it's like, uh, there's, I'm not saying like some intervention from otherworldly things, but I mean, that's like, I don't know, like, what is the value of those, right? of those
2: those particular images like i'm sure that for you 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 wish that you had them i mean it's i mean i wish i had all the footage from my exhibits that were in new orleans the week before that i lost as well you know i mean i lost so much stuff just that yeah but it's like these are just things yeah they don't define who you are that's right you know so you can actually you can go and make new things that's right you just have to like learn from these experiences and try to be better and and you know we're human we make mistakes and give yourself a break Mm -hmm. you know it's different if you had a job and you lost the photos from that job or you Mm -hmm. lost the recordings from that job but this was something i just did but i felt like i lost part of i don't know what i don't even know Mm -hmm. i don't know how to describe it yeah well
0: it's uh, you're metaphysically or whatever like you're this is some weird um acknowledgement of an experience a lot of experiences and and a lot of energy and that was exchanged or put you know uh, out into the world and so it's like a weird sort of mini death of of something but at the same time it's like well but i feel that i was that i i was there you know like we were talking to shreve last week and we were talking about just how funny it is just about how he looks like he's 12 years old when he's playing that solo during soul sacrifice at woodstock Uh and i was like you know, yeah, I mean, you must have just been, like, on another planet kind of thing, you know? And he's like, no, no, I wasn't. Mm -hmm. Like, I was, he's like, I was, I was here now kind of thing, you know, and that's the only way that that worked. I was like, wow, yeah, makes
2: sense. So that's really all you got. You know, you have signs and stuff that come to you that let you know that you're doing the right thing. Like, I had a couple moments after that incident that let me know that everything was okay, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah. I mean, like, you know, where
0: I'm at right now with sort of, you know, breaking away from all that I was doing before and doing straight up freelance and these sort of unknown, uh, sort of strangely defined ways. Uh, you know, it's, it's like, it's day to day here. Like you, you get interesting calls about certain opportunities or certain things that you just want to be pursuant to and certain things you want to say no to, but you don't want to say no to things like that, that lifestyle is really hard. And when you're trying to you're trying to keep your mojo together, and you're trying to keep the pot. Like you have to stay. Anybody that's freelancing, I think, or has done you know done work for themselves for a long time, really understands this. But it's like you you can wield or manifest the energy that surrounds of you. Of course. And it's so apparent when you're not enduring the indignities of a corporate job. Yeah. That is in some format, right? Like you're you're just out there, man. And like what you make is what you make, and what happens is what you did. And uh, and there's something, there's such a direct tie to to that kind of energy. And so when I when I was doing this, you know, on my, you know, in, when I was music producing basically for years, it was I was so involved in the projects, three weeks at a time, making records for people. I would kind of pick my head up and be like, Oh, I don't have any more work lined up. or I've just been so focused on this one thing that I'm doing. And so you have to get get kind of good at sort of nurturing the sort of immediate things and the kind of the midterm things and then planting seeds for that are long term, and at the same time always uh, staying really forward and really positive. and And it's crazy like what what you can bring to yourself when you just have that that mindset. And it's it can always be a challenge, especially when you break expensive cameras <laughs> or things or you know whatever it is. You know, there's always going to be these crazy setbacks or
2: strange. Well, it's when Strange the experience things. outweighs the money you do it, and then when it doesn't, you don't. You know, so you wait, know, say that again. When the experience outweighs the money, yeah, you do it for the experience of it, yeah. And then you know, when the experience isn't worthwhile to you and the money's not there, you don't have to do it. Yeah. You don't have mm-hmm. to say yes to everything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. that's what I've learned. You know, people, so many people spread themselves too thin, and you know and then you go and you do this work and then you have resentment because you're not getting paid the money that yeah. you believe that you should get paid for the work that you're doing but in actuality you're the person who agreed to do that. So if you just said no I don't want to do that and they say well we can't afford you be like okay go find someone else, mm-hmm. you know? So that's yeah. I've learned that over over time. Oh yeah, I'm right in the middle of some of those exact scenarios mm-hmm. right now where you know, people
0: wanted to license, you know, photographs or you know, things that I have and then I give them the market rate and they go, Oh
2: well never mind, we're just gonna go do it ourselves. Great. And <clears> if they <throat> can do it themselves, like God bless them, but nine times out of ten, yeah, they can't reenact they what, what you is, created, yeah. you know. So Yeah. Yeah, they don't understand. And you what get what it you is. pay for at the end of the day. That's right. Or you get what you don't pay for. Yeah.
0: That's right. So I don't know what this loud oh this uh, dumpster just a dumpster. backup loud, um, alarm. But uh but yeah, so you know, I think that um I think that even people that are in a situation where they're doing uh, a day job and then doing you know what they love on the side that could possibly become like a full-time hustle, you you still have to sort of... I was able to take advantage of that. Like in the, when I had a, a salary coming in, but I was doing all of the other stuff that I'm doing, um, I was able to just say, well, I'll, I'm doing it for market rate or better. you know. Like but what I'm, is market rate? Well, just meaning right. like, I guess what I'm saying is like, like especially in the drone business right you can you can you can say like people will pay like people say well that's you know we think that we should be able to get this video made or this thing that we need for you know five hundred dollars and it's like you know what you can actually find somebody to do it for three hundred dollars you can find somebody to do it for a hundred dollars but i'm gonna charge i charge twenty five hundred dollars or whatever like and i would just look at yourself in the mirror and you say that's what i'm worth right Mm -hmm. well babe because I I just I know what it is right you know and and the thing too is that what I find interesting is like when you, you have these these awakenings too when you realize that certain audiences or certain markets or certain verticals or certain types of companies or whatever it is that might be able to sort of subsidize what you're doing there's a lot of them that just don't they don't fundamentally appreciate what anybody's doing it's just about bottom line and right. mm-hmm. and it doesn't matter how great the work is like if, so you can sit here all day and say well uh you know it's 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 all about uh you know we'll go find somebody they're not as good as what i'm gonna be able to bring you they don't even care half the time you know so it's
2: such an interesting thing that's that's a signal that you're just not even in the right yeah well, i learned the hard way in yeah. new york you know living in new york and trying to keep up with the joneses and trying to set precedent for yourself you know You want to charge people a certain a premium and then I was the king of like almost getting jobs and I remember there was a woman who lived who lived below me named Connie Carruthers who was Lenny Tristano's prodigy and Max Roach's lover and pianist in her band and you know she was the her music was the soundtrack to my New York experience and she's you know she's since passed away but she said to me one time I want to do a photo shoot and I gave her the price and I thought that was the greatest deal you know that I could give her and She said, oh, but I couldn't afford that. And then I realized at that moment, did I have a really expensive storage closet or did I have a photo studio? Mm. So I need to go out and create some work. You know, a lot of people don't pick up their cameras or pick up their equipment unless they're getting paid to do it, which means they're getting rusty and they're not training their ears or their Mm -hmm. eyes or their talents. So people don't know that they need what you got unless you can create something to show them. So for me, I did 700 photo shoots for free and gave away all the images to the musicians to use for promo. So that, yep. you know, then all of a sudden I got Bootsy Collins' album cover and Johnny Winter's album cover which won the Blues Grammy and things like that. And this is all from things I went out and just created on my own. Yep. Mm-hmm. I wasn't hired by a record label or hired by a yeah. company, I just did it. Yeah. And then they knew that they wanted it. So as an mm-hmm. artist, right Joe, is that right? You yeah, have to go totally. out and just do it That's right. because it's in your soul. Mm-hmm. And that's the vibe, you know, Yeah,
1: for sure. And it's like definitely a thing where, you know, that's, that's, I I had a a funny email the other day from somebody, a person emailed me and um, said, I'm thinking about quitting my job. Do you know about any freelance writing positions in town? And I was just like. So many pick up the pick up yeah, the phone. Yeah, and if you're if you're this person hearing this, which you won't be, but if you were this person hearing this, it's <laughs> totally fine for you it to. Have, it was totally fine for you to send me that email, and I and I sincerely meant I my response. It by, I sent my, it by mistake. My, my response when I said, if I know of anything, if I hear of anything, I'll let you know. I, I mean that sincerely. And that said, it's indicative of just the sort of the the fact that people just don't get what it is to be doing creative work on your own. Like, it's like, it's it's exactly, that's the biggest part of it that people don't understand. It's like, there's nobody hiring you to do anything. You are doing it. You are creating jobs for
2: yourself and finding people
1: to pay you to do these jobs that I mean, you created. I mean, I, I used to go to
2: Barnes and Noble and look in the mastheads of these magazines and figure out who the photo editors were and contact all of them. And then I got published in Rolling Stone probably 30 times and then I was still broke. And that was my biggest dream in life. And I was like, wow, I need some new dreams or <laughs> yeah. you're trying to climb to the top of a mountain and you get yeah. there, you realize there's no view. You know, you need a new yeah. mountain. Yeah. So that's, the thing,
1: that's a good point too. Like people would think, you know, if you got published that many times in Rolling Stone, for God's sakes, well, you're a millionaire. And it's like, that's not how How many people man. want to get
2: in Rolling Stone and yeah. National Geographic or yeah. their song, you know? So these corporations will take advantage of these amazing artists, because they know that they have leverage over them. Mm. You know, even though it's a magazine with millions of copies in circulation, they'll pay a hundred dollars for a quarter page shot when they should be paying you twenty five hundred dollars. Right. But people want it so bad because they think in their mind that they're going to get more opportunities from being in this place. But. It's really not true. Mm-hmm. So you have to go exposure. out exposure. Exposure, right? Mm-hmm. You can't. You know, if you, if I could pay my rent on photo credits, yeah. like mm-hmm. I would be a millionaire living in a you yeah. know mansion in Beverly Hills. You know, mm-hmm. but you can't. You have a so. sweet truck, though. I got a great truck. <laughs> I got a great truck. Yeah. And you know, know, rad so a studio. Sleep on here. road cases sometimes. You know? It's very glamorous. No,
0: it's uh, uh, that's what for what I'm doing right that's now really it's glamorous. the exact same thing. <laughs> like the like what I'm doing with drones is just the tip of the spear, right? It leads to who knows what's going to happen from there. Well, leads like all uh, the heaviest work that I have going on right now is not with that, but those the way that that was my way that these relationships were forged, Um, and I was shooting things that I was not. I I was just like, can I? Do you mind if I come out and shoot all this kind of thing? And then did that. So that film that I did, that was all because I just I just said, look, I'm not going to charge anybody, right? I just want to be there. I just want to document this process of this painting for you know 17 days, and then that opened up the door to all these other opportunities you just have to get out and do it it, yeah but everything starts from exactly that like just doing it because you just you're possessed to do it Mm -hmm. and no other reason and then that's so authentic there's something true about that 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 way what's great too is that the the opportunities that come from it are actually natural more suited uh kind of outcomes i think that are closer to what your native uh, passion or expertise is because I think that you can also get in a position where even if you're doing you, you might be I, I don't think people should be imposters right like you shouldn't be like well I'm just going to try to get real estate work so I'm going to go take pictures of houses like if you if that's not what you love doing then don't take your initiative to go out necessarily and do that like go to the source of it's kind of what we were talking about with Shreve last week It's just like go to the source like where, wherever it's happening go there and and get whatever it is you know in, in the middle of whatever you're trying to accomplish. I agree. And, and, and then find the best people doing it and just be helpful,
2: be around. Surround yourself with people you want to be like. You yeah. Know? It's yeah. like with you with your Pikes project. It's like, how did you decide to do that? That was really just having moved to
1: East Nashville in like 2013, I think. Um, I was just spending a bunch of time just looking around. I I had been, uh, I had. Uh, been recording music in Inglewood since the nineties, right? These are all like neighborhoods in Nashville that are on the East side of the Cumberland river. So, um, uh, but I'd never spent any time in this neighborhood. Right. So I would just go to my friend's studio and then drive home essentially. Um, or I'd be down at five points, go into like the slow bar back in the day or something like that. But I really didn't know anything about East Nashville when I moved over here. So moved over here uh, over there and um, uh, was just kind of like really checking it out, checking it out and my girlfriend at the time my wife now she uh, would be hanging out with me and she was always pointing out to me like man I love this look check out this 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 uh, building up here with this cool like hand-painted sign on it or check out this cool storefront that's like such a vintage weird storefront or a lot of it was stuff like that like the hand painted signs and things like this and this evidence of like these like mom and pop stores and places that you know have yet to be gentrified in Nashville and really just show this like gumption of this community There's this great store up there called the Inglewood Madison Market that's this like Mercado but it's like run by this Korean family and it's just it's just this crazy mixed up like really interesting visually like the these 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 pike roads in in Nashville so the more I was the more she would point out that stuff to me the more of it I would start to see for myself you know like there was very few murals on, on Gallatin Pike at that time but there was graffiti and things like this were, were around and the more I started looking at it the more I was like oh man I just want to take photos of this stuff I just felt that's like you you're talking just about and I went really, out and did it and I was doing work with uh, WPLN the public radio at the time they were developing their online content we started talking about doing some kind of a story that wasn't focused on radio broadcasting but was more something people would see online I said thinking because I was already in the middle of doing this stuff I said what if I did a you know what if I did a photo essay of Gallatin Pike and they didn't know exactly what I was talking about, and I didn't even know exactly what I was talking about. But they're like, "Yeah, sure, let's do it." And
2: once you gave it yeah, to them, yeah, then we go, there we go. Right, and So then that's the whole how thing's you got to You yeah. just got to just get out there yeah. and do it. And people don't know they want it or yeah until they see it. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. But I
1: think part of it, part of what like you know, to, to to Brian's point and to your point, and I think this is an important, important thing. You know, for people who just see what you do or see what I do or see what you do, and then they're like, "Well, that looks like fun. Maybe I'll do that." And it's like, no, the difference is. I had to do it. Mm-hmm. I felt it's this thing. I still feel it in my chest when yeah. I think about it. Yeah. I just had this need. It was just like, God damn it! I got to take these photographs. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And uh, and you know, for no reason at first, I just had to. And then you find out the way to connect it to the real world and, and have money and resources pour into it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's and, and that's
0: yeah. you know, I was talking with uh, you know Craig Havagerst. Yeah, he helped me write all the captions for the, the instrument book. Mm. Yeah. Oh, really? Uh-huh. So that's I, cool. I was having a beer with him yesterday. I've known him for you know whatever twenty years. He's a he's music journalist and huh? a broadcaster. He's fascinating. Yeah, he's he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I hadn't seen him in a while, so it was really good. But um, but we were talking. He he makes so. He was like, so tell me more about how you and uh, what uh, Joe. Uh, are mm. so into blood sport
1: <laughs> blood sport
0: <laughs> that's, <they> <laughs> the that's awesome let's start let's call this right. we're gonna call this the, the art blood sport podcast. right but the whole thing was basically um him talking about us enjoying fighting so much i was telling him the story about how you and i how did this get started you know our fighting sort that's of hilarious. and it's like i'm oh, glad he's paying attention you're right <laughs> yeah. and i was like no this is Joe and I would run in to get, you know, we would be at these stuffy art shows, and we'd be like, holy shit, dude, did you see that fight last night, you know? <laughs> and we were, like, the only people that could talk about this with each other in, in these, uh you know, in the art world and the music world, a lot of creative world, uh, yeah. it seems like people don't really respond to it very well, mm-hmm. which is fine. But I guess what what struck a chord to me was when you were just talking about that that native compulsion. Yeah. I was that's what I was trying to explain to him yesterday about people who fight. When you talk to fighters, when you talk to these people and you really get to know them that you know when you ask them you know like what it's not a choice Mm -hmm. like they have to do like i I just told craig i said you have to accept that there's just a certain number of people in the world that are natively compelled to to be human combatants yeah and that's all that they can think about or focus on and everything is derived from that and there's a lot of creative you know beauty in it there's a lot of uh, a lot to learn, there's a lot of uh, wisdom, there's a lot of beauty, there's a lot of amazing things going on there, so keep in mind that perhaps it's gone a little past John McCain's human cockfighting uh, comment from yeah, the 1990s, time. Time. And it's not quite the freak <laughs> show that it used to be. Um, it's still fucking outrageous combat. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> but like, look, look, look at look that. But when sh- you see
0: like 150, yeah. 100, you know, when you see a 115 pound woman just uh, just beasting you know (laughs) it's in such an articulate possessed direct uh, beautiful kind of uh, artful movement kind of way that is pure destruction right it's fucking it's Oh really? You have you're having trouble with learning how to use a camera, or you're, yeah. or you having struggles like learning how to how to find your creative voice. You want to know what a struggle is? Go, <laughs> go lock yourself in a cage <laughs> with another person and say, Yo, you get, you know," and, and you have to fight them,
2: and somebody's yeah. gonna get knocked out yeah. or choked out. I was at a lucha libre match in Mexico City last no week, way? which was the most amazing thing last I've ever week? seen. Yeah, just really, really? Like I did three days in Mexico City last weekend. What? We working or just vacationing or both? Bachelor party. Oh, okay. Do you take your I mean, camera to the to the, the wrestling? I mean, I did. I have my iPhone, which is probably the most powerful tool for photographers ever been invented. Interesting. Yeah. And, um, yeah so that was fun. <laughs> what can I say <laughs> bachelor party and that means none of these
1: stories come out
0: right and we'll yeah. talk about that later but, the,
1: but I love that That to me that's a, I mean and that's another that's a good example of how the art fight thing crosses over because yeah. there's always been costumes there's always been characters I mean whether you're talking about pro wrestling or you're talking about actual combat sports you know Muhammad Ali and all stuff Muhammad Ali's a legend because he's an amazing fighter but he's also a legend because he was a poet he's a legend because he could dance you know True I mean performer. all that yeah. stuff I mean you know so I guess got chills man i got chills talking about the about the greatest that's what i think (laughs) the greatest like you, you talk
2: about you know we're talking about musicians and artists and there's a lot of really talented people out there but i think being talented is only part of it It's all about personality and the hang, Mm -hmm. because you're not gonna have longevity if you can't hang. Mm -hmm. Well, that's something you learn from those musicians too. That's everybody's always talking
1: about, oh yeah, like you'll you'll like spending, if you have to spend a a week in a hotel with this guy, it's gonna be fine. You're gonna have a great blast. Right. (laughs)
0: Yeah, Yeah, there's definitely like a social poetry of of all that. I've definitely had some scenarios too, like where it's like, oh, uh, hello, Mr. Bernie Worrell. Uh, mm-hmm. you know and you just you see how like or what, back in when I was younger and I would you know when I was hanging around like Tony Williams or Elvin Jones or these kind of guys you know and you just see like when I was I was very young and I was just sort of fly on the wall very nervous in these environments that were very hangs. we were hanging with these You're people. like I'm having coffee with Ornette Coleman right now <laughs> right. what's going on yeah <laughs> yeah very <laughs> surreal and then you realize but but what I learned is like oh don't talk about music and you'll learn everything you need to know about, about music. music right? Yeah. And that was, I figured that out so early on. It's like, so, you know, Elvin Jones just talking about baseball. It's like, oh man, this is like a, a, a thesis right now in just this natural, humorous, uh, friendly conversation. But I feel like people like that that are, I mean, they're conduits to something greater <laughs> or whatever. Mm. Like these are really, these, these are charged humans that, that you know, I don't think they do anything by accident i think they fully know naturally like what what whatever the frequencies are their baseline of frequencies it's really hard to not be like you know hey i'm 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 22 years old fresh out of north carolina totally starstruck
2: you know <laughs> so tell me about the you know time that you played you know like you just don't yeah i stopped you taught him talk to dr john and <laughs> Tell me about that time. He's like, I remember when I was in prison. You know, that's, yeah. it, that's it. Like they don't remember all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, oh, oh man, that's awesome. Well, it's
1: starting, pretty good imitation too.
0: We have to turn the air conditioning off, and so it sort of starts to get kind of hot in here. But
2: um, I'm sorry about that. We probably round up. There's,
0: there's, it's actually it's actually quite comfortable.
2: Oh really? You know, The cool thing yeah. is about like last night, Paul Simon played in town. Did you guys go to that show? I saw. No. I was going
1: to ask you about this because I saw on your Instagram you were hanging out with his uh, his musical produ his musical, musical director. director. Yeah. yeah, that's
2: a guy named Mark Stewart, who I um I did a photo shoot with him and Rob Schwimmer, um you know years ago. He's in the book as as well as Bikiti Kamalo, who I shot when I was at the Cape Town Jazz Fest in two thousand nine. I set up a portrait studio there and haven't seen these guys pretty much since we did these photo shoots and had a chance to go and hang with them last night and they have the book and they're both really proud to be a part of it and went and picked up Mark and brought him to my studio and he got really turned on by it today. And yeah. It's just super cool to, you know, see these guys and like, you know, all I ever wanted was to hang with these people and get respect from them and, yeah. you know, eventually now I'm up here and it's just really yeah. cool to, you know, meet these guys. Like, Bikiti didn't even remember doing the shoot and I remember I had... Um, I went to the Cape Town Jazz Festival and I had gotten the opportunity to to photograph the festival and this is in 2009, my friend had been deported who was from South Africa and I flew to South Africa with him because I had nothing else going on in New York and the Jazz Fest was happening and I had been shooting jazz festivals and I met the the producer of the event and he said, well you can shoot the event but if I'm shooting this, you you have to go somewhere else. I said, (laughs) well that's not gonna work for me but if you give me a space to do a portrait studio backstage I'll pay for it myself. So forty-eight hours before the event, they said, "Okay, you're good." Meanwhile, I've got no idea where to buy lights or rent lights or backdrops, and yeah. so I started walking around this square. Are we about to finish? Is it okay that I'm telling you the story? No, always. So we're walking around this squ- I'm walking around this square. This is like hun- like ten thousand people in South Africa, and I see this guy with a really nice digital SLR camera, and I said, "Hey, man, I've got to do this thing," and he's like with a British accent. And he goes, "I'll help you." And then he goes, actually, I have to go to Paris for something. And then the little guy next to him says, <laughs> I know a guy. He goes he goes, I know a guy who can help you. He goes, I know a guy who can help you. I more. know a man who can help you. Right. I know a guy who's right for this job. I got a guy. So I got a all guy. of a sudden, the next morning or two days later, I get picked up. I talk to this guy on the phone. Well, the little guy, he's the guy who's helping me. He shows up with his like six foot tall, like Danish supermodel girlfriend with a truck full of gear and all these backdrops. Oh, my God. So we go and we set up this whole studio, and it's just like the gray backdrop, and I was going to shoot portraits of all the musicians, and, and my dream was to shoot Hugh Masakela, who's recently passed yeah. in the South African flag, wrapped in the South African flag, which I eventually got to do, and then I realized, well, how are people going to know that these portraits were shot in South Africa? So I used the flag for everybody as the mm. main props, and then... So I shot Bikiti Kamalo, who's Paul Simon's bass player, with the flag over his bass, and then many of the musicians weren't showing up, so I started shooting the workers and the cooks using the the flag as an apron or a cleaning cloth. And oh, wow. so I kinda told this story of South Africans through this portrait. Now this is in two thousand and nine, right before the World Cup. Mm. So I'd gone on safari in the Kruger Park and somehow I ended up like meeting with the Tourism Bureau and and this is going back to what we were talking about licensing and they had a campaign called Wave the Flag for Football. Oh, and perfect. so I said, well we're gonna license them all these photos and we tried to license them at market rate right, which right. was actually turned out to be no rate because um, no one in my company was oppressed by apartheid so I didn't end up mm. um, getting anything in there. But you know, it just goes to show you they wanted it, I created it, mm. I tried to tell the story it didn't work out but it still it did work out because you know it's all about having a an idea and then creating that idea and then trying to manifest you know the outcome so who knows what'll happen with these images in the future what i know now is i'm friends with Bikiti Kamala. he's proud <laughs> to be in the book yeah. mm-hmm. and i got to hang with him last night well, and this is you know 9 years later mm-hmm. yeah well
0: and you went through the experience of modulating you you, you what you were doing in the moment and now you have this probably a much when when things aren't working out and the
2: shoe people aren't showing up or whatever you, that's actually an invitation now, right right That's not something that and to it be turns lamented, out this yeah. little guy who came to help me was the one of the best fashion photographers in Cape Town and had wow. some issues um in his personal life, which kind of you know um halted his career. Mm. so I think by coming to help me was a way of him you know feeling coming back into himself to yeah. like empower me to wow. be able to have you know it was like. There's a lot of energy that swirls around. He needed an opportunity, too, right? So it's like cool, and it was like giving him uh, some—that's heavy, you know—feeding his soul. Yeah, it was feeding mine and the musicians and the whole deal. See, and that's what it's about, right? It's about experiences.
0: It's not about like work, like the the experience and the work and the life and that comes. That's just all. That's just the force. Uh anyway, all right, we got
2: to get out of here. Um instrumenthead.com is how they can learn about I, this book. Hey, <laughs> hey, 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 Michael, can
0: you can you just take a second to, to tell people
2: about how they can find out more? Man, so if you would like to learn more about this project we've been talking about this whole hour, you can go to instrumenthead.com, watch the about video. There's going to be a lot of um Videos of Brian's drone footage, and it's going to be really awesome. You're going to love it. I don't have any drone videos on your website. Man, we should do that. Let's go do that right now. I've got a box truck. Can you fly the thing around the truck? (laughs) Why don't don't you fly your box truck around my drone? <laughs> that could be cool too. Um, <laughs> this is, I'm going to look this up on Urban well, anyway, Dictionary. Anyway, I've got mad respect. <laughs> I have mad respect for you guys oh, and Joe. It's you know you've got you're you're such a force in the art community here, and I really Thank you. appreciate what you guys are doing. And mm. I'm just psyched to be you know hanging with you cats. So. Yeah, we're well, glad to have
1: you. It definitely was an easy easy uh, pick to make, and like with you guys and everything that you guys have done together. So is been wanting to get you on, and we're glad that you're part of the part of season two. Yeah. Season two. You're on the Art Fight Podcast. Art Blood Sport Podcast. <laughs> yeah. All right.
0: Um, thanks, everybody, for anybody that's listened all the way through because you're the reason why we do this. Actually, not really. We just kind of do it because we love to do it. It's pretty fun. Uh, but we're happy to have listeners and thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.